Hey, everybody, and welcome in. It's the Poor Man Fantasy Football League podcast. We're the fantasy football show that gives you a peek inside the life and times of our Dynasty League. I'm your host, Mike, and with me, as always, is my friend, Andrew. And this week, we're continuing and wrapping up our part three of our Get to Know Your League Make series. And this week's special guest is my co-manager, Evan, a.k.a. Eplow. Or Epolo? Uh, How do you I want to pronounce that? Epilo. Epilo. Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of... It was a, a username in, in college, and it just kind of stuck. So, okay, because like e plow sounds like you're an electronic plow, and epilo makes me sound sound like you're like a hip like DJ. You're 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 big on on like the kind of scene. And look, either either one of those works. E- either one works for you. Okay, cool. Um, so Evan, how are you doing? The DJ, if it was if it was college, it was probably more the DJ guy with the music yeah. going and partying it up. It's all fun. Yeah. So Evan, how are you doing? Doing doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. Uh, like like we said pre-show here, uh, the Titans are officially have their their new stadium funded. Um, so the the city and the state approved the funding. It's going to be the the most money, public money, ever given to a professional sports team. So that's interesting and fun to note. Uh, it's around one point two five, I think, uh, billion dollars that's wow. going to the stadium. So it's going to be publicly funded money, and the Titans themselves are doing about nine hundred to nine hundred fifty million uh, on top of that for the stadium costs ultimately. So we're looking at a little over a, a $2 billion stadium. Uh, I think it's like 2.25 is the current estimate um, for the new Titan stadium. So then how does the, uh, how does the city uh, recoup that cash? So they, they do fancy accounting uh, and they just say, hey, having the Titans in town is going to bring in X amount of tourists. It's going to bring X amount of revenue to the shops, to the hotels, to the bars, uh, and it's going to bring traffic into the city. It's going to bring people here. Uh, and then they also get a amount of ticket sales uh, that go back to the city as well. And then they okay. also have a bunch of concert venues. So right now, Bridgestone's the largest concert venue, uh, which I think is just north of 20,000. Um, so any professional football stadium is going to be significantly larger than that. Uh, and it's going to be domed, so they're not going to have to worry about the weather. Uh, like this past weekend, Taylor Swift was in town, and it was raining most of Sunday, and she ended up having to start the concert much later than expected, and she ended up going until like 1.40 a.m. when she was supposed to be done at 11 p.m. Yep. So you have those kind of impediments, uh, which will now bring obviously even more revenue, even more people into town for those kind of concerts. Okay. Oh, that's, uh, you know, cause Edmonton kind of went through the same, the same thing with the, uh, the Oilers st- uh, where the Oilers play. Like the, the team owner said, I am not paying for this. If you want this, if you want to, if you want the Oilers to stay in Edmonton, the city is going to cough up some cash for some, for the majority of it. Um, and I think we, we probably paid 75%, um, somewhere in there of the, of the stadium. Um, yeah, we own the building, we own yeah. the building and we leased it to them for 30 years, which I think yeah. we've got like 26, 25 years left. Yeah. Yeah. 
And there was so, some, there was some very bad caveat. It was a bad deal. It was overall, but um, but it's it, actually, it's, 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 it's that, like that, Nashville it's participating down there in Nashville. Yeah, yeah, it's like Nashville. It's, like, really, is the city going to let the Titans walk away? They're going to do everything they can to keep them there. Even it's even a you know a county over where they're in a different city. That's going to hurt Nashville. Yes, a lot of the a lot of the, the the fans will still go travel to that that next area because that's what the the Oilers owner said. We got Sherwood Park, which is like across the highway. And he said, "I'll put it there if you don't want to put it in Edmonton. I'll go build there. All your fans are still going to travel over. It's like a five minute drive, and Sherwood Park will reap all the rewards. Edmonton won't. So, like I can see why you know they would fight so hard to keep the Titans." To, to put the money up to put the Titans there, and if if they're getting a, a percentage of the of the the ticket sales and the concerts and all that, over time they'll recoup their 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 money for it. So that's great. If a, a city is going to do that, I like to see it actually be a like a fifty fifty beneficial where the the franchise owner isn't isn't controlling the situation. That's what happened at Edmonton is that yeah. the owner of the team, he he waved a big stick and the city caved and the mayor at the time he was going to retire. So his last last decree was to afford the remaining one hundred million dollars that was needed to push the project over. Um, so we ended up paying several hundred million dollars in this into this facility. And then the Cates group um, reneged on several of their promises. So the uh, the down oh, now granted COVID happened and that was the caveat they they used to slip out of of having to complete the entertainment district. They they went in built one of two towers, not both towers. They built one. They finished off the entertainment ground space, but the shopping area and the secondary tower wasn't completed, and it probably won't be completed now. Probably not. So. Anyways, either way, it, it happens. But I do find it interesting that um, other cities are doing that because we were always led to believe, and I guess this is where it comes to actually doing your own fact-checking, that other markets do not uh, pay for their stadiums. It belongs to the franchise. And the cities just say, hey, look, we'll give you land and tax breaks and all kinds of stuff so you guys make money to stay. Um, and that's cool, but we're, we can't pay for it. Yeah, so I, I think I think the the A's are looking to move out of Oakland as well, and there was reports of them going to Vegas, and they just reworked a deal with the city uh, to get in place for them to move over to Vegas, and I think Vegas is giving them like three hundred and fifty million dollars towards their new stadium uh, that they're planning on building over there. As wow, well. so it's becoming more and more prevalent. Well, cities uh, are now investing into sports franchises because they know what it brings to their cities. Yeah. Wow. I guess well, that kind of makes sense. You even look at like college, right? Um, like some of these college towns, like I'll use Michigan as an example. You know, the the pop of of Ann Arbor, you know, seventy five, you know, seventy five thousand people on a college weekend grows to like 250 with you got the the 112 people in the stadium and then another 100 another 100,000 people standing around outside tailgating you know 
your your population more than doubles in a, in a weekend and how much money is that bringing into like you said evan bringing into the bars bringing into the hotels parking um all of that kind of stuff where these businesses are now able to survive and pay taxes and so the city the city does does benefit so much from all of it yeah think of those cities that have multiple franchises then yeah <laughs> Yeah, cool. And, and 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 multiple like sports, you know, like you look at like an LA. Yeah, so you you're gonna have basketball, baseball, uh, football, hockey, and then not only that, like Los Angeles is gonna have two of each of those teams. Yeah, within some kind of like boundary. So, uh, New York major market. Um, you know, it's it's, it's fun. Um, for for us having we have. Uh, the Edmonton Eskimos or Elks, sorry, my apologies. The Edmonton Elks, it's a CFL football team and the Edmonton Oilers. Um, those are two big franchises. They, well, they, the Elks used to be good. So they used to have a, a draw people used to attend their promo this year is, Hey, if you guys buy a ticket, we'll give you another one for free. <laughs> pretty yeah, much. Yeah. And if we lose your tickets, good for the next game. So, and the reason being is they didn't win a game last year. So those who bought a ticket last year got like a season pass for 20 bucks. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so that's the promo they're running this year. It's like, good, good luck, boys. Good luck. Yeah. Oh, that's all right. All right. So Evan, uh, it's been a while since we chatted with you. We, we know you're busy with work and whatnot. Anything else going on in your life that you want to update the world on? Now, now is your time to say, Hey, you know what? I got a new cat. No, I'm I'm in you line for a promo- in line for a promotion at work come uh, the end of June. Ooh. So, yeah, I'll, I'll officially okay. be uh, the youngest manager in Metro. So in our department. Oh, that's cool, man. We hope you get it. Oh, Good yeah. luck. Congrats. Yeah, Congrats. I mean, it, it, everything. I mean, I've talked to everybody above me, and it sounds like it's basically a shoe in situation. I just I need to get HR to say that I have enough years of experience to be able to get it, and. That's pretty much that at that point. So, oh, right on, man. That is exciting. Yeah, appreciate it. So, what does that mean for you? Like, if um, if the promotion happens for you, what's something you're going to do for yourself uh, as a reward or recognition? Hmm. You know, I haven't really thought a ton about it. I've I've considered tapping my toe into getting Titan season tickets, but Ooh. at the same time, I also see the decline of the Titans. And what's coming most likely for that franchise, which is really sad to, to see. Uh, okay, don't say that, man. I just invested in Will Levis. Don't tell me this is bad. Bad things are coming. <laughs> oh, that face tells me everything. Oh, I knew I should have taken Hendon Hooker. <laughs> Hendon Hooker, that's even worse of an investment. Well, oh, no, because Hendon Hooker was the fifth round pick. Don't listen to Eric. Eric thinks it's a good pick. Hey, look, I'm a Lions fan, man. I'm I'm I am gonna drop a, a solid fifth round, like the five oh two on Hendon Hooker at some point. That's what I just took tonight. Yeah, I know you did. <laughs> Snipe me. But yeah, yeah so I think I, I I have that and uh I'm actually getting ready to, like I said, go out to Denver for a good friend of mine's wedding. Uh and then I am going out to my old college roommate's wedding uh the end of June. Cool, man. So you're at that stage in your life where you're attending weddings. Yeah. 
what's what are okay give me a couple of things that you love about weddings because there's, there's like there's stuff you can hate but there's stuff that you can love what are some of the things you love about weddings I mean, honestly one of my favorite things is seeing everybody that is so 28 29 yep and being like we're far enough removed from college where it doesn't feel like a college party anymore and it like kind of feels like a little more sophisticated at yeah. a wedding and you're just like okay. let's just all go back to just having a giant party together and just having fun yeah. like it, it's okay. crazy, it's crazy in the adult life in my opinion how like you just don't have those events anymore like in college you have those events like you can go mm-hmm. to your buddy's house you can just pop over and you know there's like 40 people over there well Maybe it's just for me. Maybe you guys have it a little bit, a little bit different. But I'm assuming having families, it's not. But being able to to go over to a friends and it's just like me and like two other people and we're just hanging out. You know, it's like chill. We're like trying to be responsible. You know, young adults. Um, so. You know, you know what the, you, you mentioned that and just think about, you know, back from your college days. You know, when you you and your buddies got together, the conversations you had then and the conversations you're having now. Back then, it was about, you know, going out to the bar, going and having a good time, video games, stuff like that. Now you guys talk about mortgages and families and, and taxes and, and taxes and, and cars right. and, and all of that kind of all of that kind of stuff where you're it's, it's, it's a conversation totally different. Um the the reason you get together is also totally different. It's yeah. it, it's rooted in the fact that you want to spend time with these people, um, but you're also like you're just out to have like a really good time. You're partying it up. Um, you're pushing those limits. I was a crazy party guy way back when, and when uh, when my party friends started like, hey man, I'm buying a house. Like I got a girlfriend. Um, I got a baby on the way and I'm just like, what the F is wrong with you people? So what, who cares? Come out and get smashed. Let's go. And, uh, uh, it's like, no, 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 like, man, I, 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 I don't want to, and I can't do that anymore. And it was such a hard part of my life that I had to like grow up past. So I can appreciate that, you know, getting together with friends on those special occasions and they start to happen less frequent, uh, frequently, but, I can say this, even though they happen less frequently, the significance and the, I guess the, the intensity of the friendship grows in those more intimate and less frequent events, right? You, 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 you bore, you forged your friendship through the trials and tribulations of the young party life. You, you, you got into some shenanigans, you got some war wounds, you, you earned some stories, now you're into that like transitional period where you're re- reuniting the band, you're getting the band back together, and now you're telling those stories to new friends and new people that are being brought into your little circle, and um, you're strengthening those bonds of past friendship. Like that's that's my take on it. As a 43 year old man now, uh, and those those party days are behind us. I do look forward to the times when I am able to get together with friends. Like Andrew and I are getting together tomorrow night to drink some beers. We're gonna actually Friday night. Sorry, Friday night. My apologies. Tomorrow is they're releasing the the schedule uh, for the NFL, and Andrew and I are planning a trip. So we're gonna get together Friday night and drink some beers. I have my son that night, 
uh, because the, our wives and our daughters are going off to a, to a movie. So I'm actually going to draw a mustache on my son and I'm going to take him to the bar with us. <laughs> True story. It's going to happen. We're going to draw, draw a mustache on him and we're going to take him to a place called the Canadian Brew House. And we're going to go sit down and he's probably going to drink root beer, but he's going to have beers with the boys. <laughs> and I look forward to those times because one, they don't happen very often. And two, it's nice that you one when you do get to do it, you spend it with, with good people you want to spend time with. So yeah. enjoy your your trips out to these uh these weddings. But um, so you enjoy those aspects. Is there any other aspects that you enjoy going to the weddings? Is it like you get to watch the, the groom cry? Is it is it um you get to see something that you don't normally get to see or outside of like friends and whatnot? Is anything else? Yeah, uh, I always enjoy seeing what happens with the cake and if it ends up oh, okay. on someone's face. So yeah, okay. do, do they smash the cake? Do they throw the cake? Do they just simply cut the cake and eat it? Like, Does somebody hey, get power bombed into the cake? Because I saw that once. Yeah, like what yeah. happens with it? And like, there's always there always seems to be the weddings that I go to always seems to be some special thing about it. So like the last wedding I was at was actually my cousin's wedding out in Minnesota. And they gave out little tiny Nerf guns. And it was just like, okay, we're going to eat dinner. You're going to pull out the Nerf guns. And we're just going to have a giant Nerf battle. Wow, cool. Oh, that sounds cool. Yeah. And then it's just like the bride, the bride and the groom got like, you know, the giant automated ones and just started playing. <laughs> people. And then everybody else had to like pull back single shot, like little shot, pistol, yeah. dinky, dinky little Nerf guns. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, that was like the, like like the gift for coming. Well, that that was that was one of the gifts for coming. Yeah. Oh, oh, that's really cool. I like that. That's, that's and, fun. And then by the end of the night, all the nine, ten, eleven year old boys are running around oh, picking yeah. up all the all the guns off the tables darts. and the darts yeah. and just having a big fight amongst themselves. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. That's good stuff. Um, one of my favorite things about that that wedding period uh, was midnight lunch. I loved main light lunch. So um, historically, I'm not sure if that this is like a global thing or this is like a regional thing for us, but midnight lunches are always um, deli cuts. So typically you'll get just like, like rolled like meat and then it comes out with crackers and buns and stuff. So you can make little sandwiches or just like little snacks. And I loved it for like the five year span that we had like friends getting married on my side and my wife's side. It's like, all, like okay, this is great. I'm getting midnight lunch. And some people would get like unique, like cheeky little things. They'd bring in fried chicken or they had buckets of wings or they'd order in pizza. Like, hey, that's fun. I want those deli cold cut rolled up. I want my crackers and pickles and cheese. I want the little buns because at this point of the night, I'm also trashed. I'm barely wearing any clothes. And like, I just, I just need to like get some food in my body to help like sober again, you up, sober me up. Cause I don't want to end up in the shower. It is like, yeah. cause if I end up in the showers, it is a really good party. <laughs> night, but my wife hates it. Oh man. Have you ever heard that story? Evan? No. The shower. Okay. We were, we went to Mexico. Yeah. Uh, Mike's wife, my wife and I went to Mexico and Mike indulged a little bit too much one afternoon. And, yeah. uh, and uh, I don't even think we made it to dinner that night. Um, we were, I think we were getting supposed to be getting ready to go out to dinner and Mike, uh, fell asleep in the shower. His room was right above ours. He flooded his room and started flooding our room. And knocked out power to to our 
our room. Yep. <laughs> so my wife had fallen asleep and taken a nap because we had some time before dinner. So I pass out in the shower, clog the drain. It fills up, starts spilling over into the bedroom. Bedroom, like the whole suite is just full of water. Uh, she wakes up. She wakes me up. She drags me and gets me dressed and throws me onto the balcony. And then she starts calling like maintenance and hey, look, my floor is wet. Like, can you come up here with a mop? Lady comes up and she's like, like, what the F? What, what happened in here? But in Spanish, she, her English wasn't very good. So my wife was like, I don't know. Just, the floor is wet. So this poor lady's squeegeeing the floor. And meanwhile, I'm passed out on the balcony snoring like like I'm a chainsaw. But our balcony over was over top of the adult pool. So all the people that we were day drinking with are still in the pool laughing at me because I'm, I'm lying there essentially like just sawing logs. Yeah, it was a good time. And then when we actually got together later, I'm just like, I'm sorry. I, I was not well. And so, and with that, I am officially 0-3 when drinking vodka. Vodka has won three times. And I've only done it three times in my life, and I've lost all three times. Yeah, when I get intoxicated for some reason, I think it's a good idea to go in the shower to sober up. It works well when the shower is ice cold. But if the shower is nice or, and hot, or if you haven't been drinking for 12 hours. And this yeah. is where the stories come in. So you bond yeah. over these trials and tribulations and the shenanigans you get into. So that when you get together with other people like yourself, we can share these stories and bond over it. Right? Yeah. This is yeah, that's why we do it. Same trip for me was the first time I did a tequila shot in like 15 years. Oh, we we are that went, and that went viral. <laughs> Yeah, that was good. Um, he took these uh, shot glasses, filled them up full of tequila, and then stacked them up like several high, and then put some leaves on top so it looked like a palm tree. But it was, and then you had to do one shot to chop the tree down, and it was great. And Andrew was just like, "I hate you guys." It's fun, fun, fun. All right. Anyways, uh, sorry to to just completely inundate you with these ridiculous <laughs> stories, um, Evan. Uh, how many drafts have you done thus far? 12. Wow. Ooh, wow. Okay. That's, that's more leagues than I'm even in. Yeah. So 12 drafts on personal question. Have, what is your opinion on the drafts overall? Has there been a lot of consistency or is it absolutely wild west uh, for the most part? What is your opinion how things have been going in the 12 drafts you've seen? I think that there has been a very clear top six players. Okay. And then I think the seven through 12 in the first have generally been the same guys, but different orders. Okay. And then the early second has relatively been the same guys. And then mid second on, it's been like the wild, wild west. Okay. I've only done three, and in those three, I have seen, uh, I agree with you, the first six to seven have been relatively consistent. From that last seven to, to seven to the early, early seconds, those guys I've seen, those guys switch quite a bit. And then from that point to the end of the third, so like say the 205 to like the 310, 312, those guys have all gone in various orders. And 
like um i know you do a lot more analytics and i and i shoot more from the hip so what would be your opinion of why are we seeing that this year as i don't i don't think i've ever been in an experience this uh before what would be your take on that yeah i mean i i think there's a lot of letdown i mean the, this draft was built up to be a running back heavy draft and i think it was a major letdown in in that side of things uh, which then causes a lot of variances because everybody was kind of banking on this being the running back class. You know, you look back at 2021 and 2022, and there's a handful. Like, there's not very many guys that you can really build uh, a roster around, feel comfortable building a roster around. Um, so you were thinking that that was going to be this one. You were thinking you were going to have your guys that are the flex running backs that you're going to be able to plug in there to be able to get right there coming off of year one. And it didn't play out that way with draft capital. I mean, we have two very solid top two guys. I think that has been made very clear right now. Um, jokingly, Corey and I, when we were recording last night, decided to pull up KTC, uh, good old keep trade cut, just to see how crazy the hype on Jameer Gibbs has been. And they have him ranked by community consensus, quote unquote, as RB5 right now in Dynasty. And Corey and I just were staring at each other, and we were just in, in disbelief. They figure he could be top five? So top five in Dynasty value. So not so not like for so a startup? Yeah, so like if, if you're doing a startup Ooh. for Dynasty right now, they're saying that community consensus is he is the fifth running back off the board, which wow. Corey and that's I both a... thought was high. I would think that's extremely high. I, yeah. I don't... Okay, as a Lions fan, I might put him top 10 because of his youth and coming in, but we haven't seen what he can do yet. So that's a pretty big gamble. Yeah. As your foundational running back. So where did they have Bijan then? One. <laughs> he hasn't done anything yet. Yeah. They have him they have him over guys like Christian McCaffrey and Eklon and uh, Eckler and all the wow. Yeah, crazy, wow. crazy enough, and, and we talked about this for a minute or two, was they actually have Jameer Gibbs ranked right above Saquon. That's ballsy. That is ballsy. As a startup, like, yeah, I don't know. Like, that'd and be tough, man. I, I was going to say, I've, I've done two, like, highly competitive startups this offseason with rookies, and – we're talking Bijan going like 112 to 122. I mean, he, he's going as that turn pick yeah. in, in most of the most of the leagues. Well, the two Okay, I can see that. There's a lot of hype. There's a lot of belief. Yes. Um, he's in a good situation where he's gonna should get a lot of work. Yeah. Um, but wow, that's a that's big. Okay. Hmm. So then real quick. Um, give me, give me the top six, right? And, and maybe I'll give you my top six. Cause after, uh, last week we had Corey on the show, we, we did our initial rankings and, uh, my eyes have been opened from, from that, that last week, last, so seven days ago to today, uh, going through the, the drafts that I've gone through and kind of seeing where things, other people's opinions have been, uh, one, it opened my eyes to players. I didn't, no, where I wasn't fully aware of, uh, didn't completely understand their situation. Uh, Devon A. Chain being one of them. 
not a guy that I was familiar with. Um, so to me, it's Bijan, Shamir Gibbs, uh, JSN. Uh, I'm going Jordan Addison. I'm going Quentin Johnson. And then Zay Flowers because he's a first-round selection. But I don't like the situation. I'd almost rather have Jonathan Mingo. But Jonathan Mingo didn't get first-round selection, so it's Zay Flowers. And then to me, right there is where the break happens, where I might go Devon A-Chain or Jonathan Mingo. And I'm going to hate to say this in front of Andrew, but if I have a, a 110 to a 112 pick, I might take Anthony Richardson just because I don't think I believe in anybody else worthy of of, of that spot. Like yeah. this, like this is a, this to me. This is an extremely weird scenario that draft capital was not invested into players because I think the game is changing. Where you know what, we don't want to pay running backs anymore. We're just going to cycle through them on an annual basis. We'll bring them in. We'll run them into the ground, give them the punt, and move on. Um, so that means we have to be a bit more savvy when it comes to our drafting strategies and finding those diamonds in the rough that look like they might be sitting behind somebody. And that's kind of like where we're figuring that out this year. That's kind of like how I'm feeling right now. Um, so what do you think? What is your top six? Am I, am I far off? Where, what do you think? Yeah, so Corey and I just did our top 12, uh, but we did it from a super flex standpoint. Um, so a little, little bit different there. Um, so I guess one, one QB, uh, it would look for me in Bijan, followed by Gibbs, followed by JSN, so Jackson Smith and Jigba, followed by Quentin Johnston, followed by Jordan Addison, uh, and then followed by Zay Flowers. For me okay i think that was okay huge. yep yeah that's six that's six okay so where where would you slot in your first quarterback and who is your first quarterback oh i mean my first quarterback in super flexes i was telling uh cory last night is anthony richardson he he's the only okay. quarterback in this draft that i can see potentially getting into the conversation with the top five quarterbacks that are that are in the league I mean, I, I think maybe I'm wrong here, but to me, it's a pretty clear there's five set guys in Mahomes, Allen, Hurts, Burrow, and Herbert. Like, I, I think those guys are the top five. Maybe you make the argument that Herbert's not in the true top four and there's an actual break between Hurts and Burrow and then Herbert. Uh, and that would be like the Herbert, Lawrence, Jackson kind of crew and that kind of tier right there. Okay. Um, but Anthony Richardson has the potential with his athleticism to run for a thousand plus yards. I mean, he could put up a Justin Fields rushing season and we've seen what Justin Fields value has done this year. Yeah. I mean, it goes straight up through the roof. In my opinion, the Indianapolis offense has a relatively good coaching staff. It has offensive weapons. It has an offensive line that is conducive to running the football I mean, it has Pittman, uh, it has Alec Pierce. Uh, they just drafted Josh Downs this year as well. And it still has Jonathan Taylor. And then it has a bevy of tight ends to, to be able to choose from when you're trying to throw the ball and figure out who's going to be the, the tight end to go with. So you put all of that together, and it just seems like a honeypot landing spot uh, for a guy to potentially succeed and succeed in a big way. Okay. 
Yeah, they have a the, the ceiling there is huge for that for that team and him. Like they 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 should now be pushing for that the the division lead um with putting all these pieces together. Um but do you think he's going to get enough running like you you put like he he could run for you know a a a, a huge chunk of yardage but with Taylor do you think they they chance running him as much or just give the ball to Taylor? Uh, I, I think they very much turn into uh, what the Ravens were uh, last year and just, and the, also the, the bears. I mean, the Ravens and the bears had the, the two highest rush rates in the NFL last year. I, I think you very much see that you're going to see Anthony Richardson on the, on the play actions rolling out. You're going to see him just decide to take off with the ball because he's going to see open space and say, I can pick up 10 yards here slide not take a hit and move on with his life new set it down or you're going to see the option game and you're going to see him pull the ball out of the belly of jonathan taylor or hand it off to jonathan taylor in an option and it's going to put the defensive ends in a really bad position where they're going to have to pick one or the other and good luck tackling either one of them if you're not in the correct position yeah i i you know what i i totally see the nfl adopting a lot more of the college offensive playbooks where you get those, those option reads and you, you see it on the RPOs. Um, but you're going to start seeing a lot more options because these quarterbacks that are coming in are used to doing those option plays and, and being able to take off and run whenever they wanted to. Um, and I think one of the reasons why we're also seeing, you know, the, the, the edge rushers and the defensive linemen, um, becoming more and more popular in the draft is because teams are going to start to try and counter this change in the offensive mentality back to a, a more of a college type offensive defensive playbook where these guys become more and more um, important to your teams. Um, so I, I can totally see where, yeah, where if, if he's given that, that freedom like, like Fields got at the end of last year, just go out and play, have fun, do what you got to do to get us the W. And if he's given that freedom, and I, I, I think, again, I said it earlier, the division could be theirs to take easily. Yeah, it's it's a very winnable division. Um, I think the biggest question is going to be Jacksonville and being able to to get past Jacksonville. I think they yeah. really proved that they took a step forward under Doug Peterson last year. So yeah. I think that's really good. Like I said, I do think Tennessee is a team on the decline. Houston, I mean, it's Houston right now, and you look at their weapons, and they're very minimal uh, on on the offense. So I think that's, that's a little questionable uh, for me when I'm looking at it. So you say, okay, maybe, maybe we're jumping the gun a little bit on Indy. I think Indy's more of a next year competitor in the division um, because I, I still do think Anthony Richardson is going to need a little bit of time, which is part of the reason why in Superflex specifically, I have him as my first player that I want off the board because I don't think he's going to help your team as much as you really think he will this coming season. But I think that only helps you if you're a rebuilding team because you're having a quarterback that's maybe not going to be fully there the entire year is going to have some games where he's going to really struggle and you're going to see the progression really happen 
which will allow your points to stay down, potentially lose. It never feels good to lose games. It never does. Never feels good to not score points. But if you really are a rebuilding team that you're trying to build correctly, then you're going to be doing that. If you take Anthony Richardson, hopefully he helps you to be able to get a Drake May, a Caleb Williams next year, you know, be able to build that strong QB foundation to be able to go forward with. It makes a lot of sense. All right. So then tell me about the, uh, the quarterbacks in this particular league. You love Anthony Richardson, clear top, top, top one. What, what is the rest of the order for you? Because we, we dished on Will Levis and you screwed up your face. We talked about Hendon Hooker and you, you kind of laughed and made fun of Eric. Um, so, so, so lay down on us. What do you think here? Yeah, so for me, it's a very clear one, two, three. And then it's a large, large gap. And then it's four. And then it's a, another sizable gap to five. So for me, it's Anthony Richardson, clear number one, in my opinion. He has the athleticism to potentially break fantasy football to be the next Justin Fields. You listen to the reports on his mental capability, and he's been learning offenses, literally going through old playbooks from old NFL coaches, trying to learn their plays, trying to learn additional schemes so that he had flexibility going into the draft so that he could have these conversations with these head coaches saying, oh, you run this scheme? Okay, well, I've seen this in this scheme be done. Uh, number two in my quarterback list is going to be Bryce Young. I get it. He's smaller. There's stature issues, stature questions. But at the end of the day, a team took him number one overall. So they have confidence. They had every quarterback in this draft to choose from, and they said Bryce is our guy. I also don't think that that Carolina receiving core is as bad as everybody makes it out to be. I mean, we're talking DJ Chark, not great, but not horrible. We're talking Jonathan Mingo. We're talking uh, Terrence Marshall. Uh, and then we're also talking about um, Adam Thielen as well. It's a very middle of the line, in my opinion, uh, wide receiver room. And then they also have Hayden Hurst and Miles Sanders. So they have some weapons and enough weapons, in my opinion, to get Bryce by. And I just absolutely loved what I saw out of Bryce in the fourth quarter playing for Alabama with arguably the worst receiving core that Alabama has had in half a decade, you know, five, six years. So he made that team better. He was a floor raiser for his position players. And that's what I want to see. I want to see a quarterback that can put the team on his back in the fourth quarter and be able to say, okay, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to make throws. If my receivers don't catch it, well, it hit their hands. I put the ball where it needed to be. And everything that I've heard is he's a fantastic leader. He's a very selfless player. And that all bodes well, in my opinion. And as I've told Corey and Eric multiple times, I think the Panthers have one of the best coaching staffs in the entire NFL. I absolutely love what they've done with their coaching staff, um, which then leads to the third one in the top three uh, in C.J. Stroud. C.J. Stroud, in my opinion, is a accuracy specialist. He's a ball placement specialist. And I think that bodes pretty well for him and longevity, uh, especially being in Houston, which I have questions about how much help he's really going to get around him. Um, You know, you look at the weapons that he has there. They're not that great. You look at the fact that they moved their 24 first to be able to come back up and get Will Anderson. So that's a question mark. 
So there's just a lot of question marks surrounding CJ Stroud to me. Uh, and then you put in the fact that there has been those conversations about his S2 score and that new cognition test that's supposed to like overtake the Wonderlook or the Wonderlick um, test for them. And you look at his supposed mental processing, which it feels like we say that about every single Ohio State quarterback. So how true really is that? Um, Fields seem to do all right last season. Um, I know I was not a huge Fields fan before that. But. Okay. okay, 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 time out. Do you think C.J. Stroud can break the, the Ohio State quarterback curse? Or do you think it's going to be Justin Fields or neither of them? What are we defining as breaking it? Give me, okay. give me, some, give me some metrics. <laughs> give me some metrics that he needs to hit to be able okay. to break it. Um, Justin Fields essentially set the metric last year on a, okay. a what his second year in the league. Okay. Okay. Uh, that was the all-time best performance and lifetime performance of any Ohio State quarterback. So these guys get drafted top ten, and they they essentially fall off a cliff year one or two and are gone. Justin Fields reset the bar off of one season, and he didn't even throw any passes. So it it, it the bar is not really high. Um. So my thinking here is is where does the break? Because like like. I don't like Ohio State. I don't. But um, they do produce good players. I'm going to recognize that. But their quarterbacks just have never lived up. At some point, it's going to have to change. The, the curse doesn't last forever. Does it change with Justin Fields? Does he does he round the corner and actually become a stable franchise quarterback that gets a second contract? I guess maybe that's just it. That's the, that's, that's the metric. No Ohio State quarterback has ever received a second contract. They've never survived their first. Do you think these guys live long enough to actually get a second contract? I think Justin Fields gets a second contract. Uh, I think it'll end up being a situation kind of like what we saw with Lamar, where it ends up being a long, drawn-out situation, mainly because of the style of play. Uh, You look at Fields, and he takes a lot of hits. Uh, He doesn't position his body as well when he's getting the hits as Lamar does. And I think that's going to be a question. You know, I think the teams are going to see, or the Bears in this case, are going to see over the coming seasons what that's going to be like. And I forget exactly when the Bears move into their new stadium, but they're getting a new stadium. And part of me wants to say that Justin Fields, they're going to want to have their franchise quarterback or somebody that they deem as their franchise quarterback locked up when they're going into that new stadium. Well, okay. and he's he's not as big as Lamar either. So, you know, to have that same style of running and putting your body out there, he could get beat up, like kind of like Kyler Murray, get beat up early in his career. Okay. Um, so then you, you're, the answer to your question to the question is you're you're thinking Justin Fields will actually break the Ohio State curse. Yeah, I think Justin Fields will get a second contract. What's the optimism you have for CJ Stroud? Especially knowing uh, the administration that exists in Houston, the lack of weapons and that exists there now, and the lack of draft capital for the future to surround him with talent that he's going to need to succeed. 
It's so hard for me. I, I, I don't know if I can really make an assessment on that until I see with the weapons that he has at the NFL level, because you look at the weapons he played with at Ohio State. I mean, we're talking Chris Chris Olave, Marvin Harrison Jr., uh, Garrett Wilson, Emeka Ibuka, Garrett Wilson, Jackson Mm -hmm. Smith and Jigba. Like, we're talking about three guys that have been very early draft picks. So, yeah, he, he did a great job with making those guys shine. And as we see, they've transitioned very well to the NFL style, which would lead me to believe that he has a shot at being a good quarterback here. I mean, we, we saw that, though, with Alabama. Like, Alabama was putting out top-tier talent for a while, and they hadn't been putting out quarterbacks. So Okay, I mean, good point. There, there's the argument that, you know, they're getting propped up and they're, being, they're making them look better as quarterbacks because they're playing with elite talent. Yeah, well, very valid. Very valid. Okay. Well, now tell me about the tier break. You did one, two, and three. Now it's a big drop to four. I think I'm assuming a- that's Will Levis. Yep, yep, that's Will Levis for me. Look, Will Levis is an absolute gamer, in my opinion. He's tough as nails. I mean, he he fits what the Titans want to do. I still question Vrabel truly going to a rookie quarterback. Um, so I do think that it's going to be Tannehill's team this year unless they get down and they're like three, four games below 500, like midway through the season, then I start thinking that they're going to consider transitioning and seeing what they have in Levis. But the, the biggest issue for me is, yeah, they traded up in the second round, but a second round pick isn't getting paid that much. And if they're below 500 come midway through the season, what's going to stop them from sliding by trying out Will Levis and going and getting maybe a top 10 pick and yep. re-rolling at the quarterback position. I mean, we saw them re-roll with Will Levis when they just took Malik. And I get it. Malik was a third round pick. So a little bit less draft capital didn't trade up for him. But at the same time, I don't know. I just, I, I have questions about it. I have questions about the situation too. I mean, you look at how Tennessee plays football and they like to run the ball. They like to play defense. They like to play old Rex Ryan style offense, which is we're just going to hold the ball, hold the ball, hold the ball. And we're just going to grind it down the field. We're going to kick field goals and we're going to win because our defense keeps you to 10 points. Yeah. Control the clock. Yep. Yeah. Boring. Exactly. And but, boring. It's but not if it wins you games. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it is super flex. Where are you, where are you putting him? First round, second round? Will Levis? Yeah. Super flex. I'm going to put him at 201. Okay. In, in a 12 team, in a 12 team league, I'm going to put him at 201. Okay. All right. Now the last quarterback on your list, way, way down there. I'm assuming is Hendon Hooker. Yeah. Future hall of famer for the Detroit lions. Oh man! With a name like that, somebody's gonna get caught in bed with Hooker. Yeah, no, yeah it's gonna. It, that, I'm, that, I'm gonna play on this name forever. That's that's booty, you know. Oh somebody, yeah, somebody went, somebody went, Yeah, somebody went to go get that in uh, down in Atlanta, you know. Yeah. 
<laughs> oh, they'll be hanging out with the with the the quarterback from the the, the Browns. The two of them are going to become best friends. Oh, Deshaun Watson, Deshaun Watson, and Hooker. Are Deshaun Watson go... was seen with a Hooker this weekend. Yes. <laughs> oh man. Um, you know what though, I uh, and I know you kind of rolled your eyes when you when we we talked about Hooker earlier, but you know, give him a year, maybe a year and a half um, behind uh, behind uh, Goff. And I think he'll be ready to go. It's it's you know what, and, and we might even see that see it this year with Jordan Love sitting behind Aaron Rodgers for the two three years, and then the kid just takes off. And then you know what, and then everybody's going to say, "Hey, you know what? Green Bay Packers were geniuses. Didn't put the kid in too early. Didn't get him beat up." Didn't ruin his confidence, and now the kid comes out and he's you know the next greatest quarterback in the world. You could see the same thing with Hooker in, in Detroit. That you know what, in two years, he he's taking the team over and putting it on his shoulders, and he's ready to go. Uh, you know who knows, but I I just with the team on the uptake, you know they're not gonna if they keep going with the trajectory they're going. They're not gonna get an early first round pick for the next three, four, or five years because they're gonna be one of the top teams in the league. So they're gonna be at the bottom of the the bottom half of the thirty-two uh, team picks. So them getting a you know a top quarterback in the next few years might not happen anyway. I, I think my retort to that would be if they're doing well. Why would they not re-sign Goff, which they've already talked about re-signing Goff? And if they re-sign Goff, I mean, minimum, I would expect a three-year contract. So maybe they could get out of it after two. You look at Hendon Hooker's age, and he's already 25. So True. if he sits for two more seasons, it makes him 27. Goff gets another two years there at that point. You know, you're talking about a 29-year-old quarterback who hasn't played. A 29-year-old rookie, yeah. Yeah. Who's essentially a backup at that point. Right. Right. So it'll it'll all be timing. Which is why a fifth-round rookie draft investment in Hendon Hooker, I think, is worthwhile. You can stash him on your bench and see what happens. Because, one, he's coming back from injury. He's not playing next year. No, they've already said that. Yeah, so like, okay, perfect. So he's just going to sit in the background, and I'll wait to see what happens in 2024 when it comes to Hendon Hooker. Yeah, I mean, very fair. And honestly, a fifth-round pick to me is worth it just for the names that you come up with for your team. Yeah. (laughs) Seven dead hookers. Maybe maybe I'll change my team name to I Own the Hooker. (laughs) (laughs) Pimp Daddy. Yeah. There we go. Uh, that that is the that is the new name of Andrew's team. He's he's the pimp. All right. Um, well, you know what we uh, we are also bringing you on the show, not just to dish on quarterbacks, but you have some information you want to share with us about the future. So this is where we saw a trend in 2023, where leading into the draft, we saw teams not value the quarter, not the quarter, the running back position as well as they have. And you talked about it earlier that we believed as fantasy players that there was going to be 
uh, a running back class that we wanted to invest in. And it hasn't really manifested itself the way we thought it was. I still think there's going to be value. I think there's going to be guys that will rise up to the surface. It'll just take longer and be harder to find. What are your thoughts on the 2024 class? Running backs, quarterbacks, tight ends. I thought tight ends this year got some love that I haven't seen in a while. Some tight ends were drafted with some early draft capital. Doesn't mean they're going to be valuable at all. But they actually got drafted with some draft capital for for the first time in a long while. Um, But 2024. What are you thinking? What are you seeing? Give us your thoughts. Yeah, so I guess we'll we'll go position by position. So right now at tight end, I'm kind of looking and seeing, you know, there's two top tier guys that kind of break out to me. Uh, guys that I think in tight end premium leagues could potentially be or should, in my opinion, be first round picks uh, come next year if they perform the way that they have. Uh, and previous success, hopefully, is an indicator here. And Brock Bowers, who I think is the best tight end that we are going to see coming out since Kyle Pitts. And then JT Sanders uh, for Texas. So Sanders actually came in as an athlete uh, out of high school. And when he went to Texas, uh, they were considering playing him as a defensive end. So he has the defensive end prowess as well which makes you realize, okay, this kid is actually an incredible athlete. Um, I think he is a little on the smaller side, in my opinion, but that tends to be how the league is going with tight ends these days. Uh, So JT Sanders, we're talking 6'3", 235-ish for his size, which in my opinion is a little undersized, Um, but he's a move tight end. He's a a big slot, a split-off-the-line um, a sort of inline. I mean, he has he has the the dirty play to him. Um, down in the trenches, doesn't mind getting dirty type of mentality. Um, and I think that comes from him being a defensive end uh, previously. So I think that is important to me, uh, being able to see somebody that can. Uh, automatically just kind of jump in and and be that guy. So that's the two guys that I'm going to be looking at for tight end uh, for this coming season. So Georgia and Texas. And I think if Quinn Ewers, quarterback that I'm about to talk about, um, can take a step forward, I think it'll be utilizing uh, JT Sanders as a tight end across the field uh, this coming season. Okay. Well, let's let's jump into ta- uh, quarterbacks then. You let you gave the segue. Let's let's run right into it. So I think this is a situation where there is two very very clear high first round quarterbacks, and then there is Quinn Ewers who came in to Ohio State as a true freshman as a seventeen year old. So he is still incredibly young uh, for being able to enter the draft. So that's definitely something to keep in mind. Uh, I think right now, if I'm not mistaken, I think he's just turned 20 years old. Um, So we're talking about a guy currently who is 20 years old uh, versus a guy in Drake May and Caleb Williams, who I think are the two guys that are going to be that those high um, guys that are battling for probably the Heisman this coming year, uh, battling for that top 
quarterback taken in the NFL draft. Uh, Drake May from North Carolina. Uh, you look at his metrics, uh, big, big bodied guy, uh, has all of the arm talent in the world. You look at his completion percentage, his QBR, uh, and he had a better, better completion percentage than Caleb Williams. Uh, he runs like a freight train coming down the field. Uh, we're talking a guy that I think he was playing his, his playing weight was about 225, 230. Yeah, that's four, big. Six, four, six, four and a half, uh, this past season. So that's definitely something to keep in mind. He's got the legs. He can run. Um, you know, people want to say that he's a Josh Allen. I don't want to say that because I don't want to put that expectation on him uh, right now. But, you know, he is somebody that has that runs downhill style, uh, is not afraid to take on a linebacker, will try and run through a linebacker. Uh, basically a running back mentality from a quarterback, and he can absolutely sling the ball. And then you have Caleb Williams, who pretty much everybody should know at this point, you know, the, the mm-hmm. previous Heisman Trophy winner, a um, little bit smaller in statue uh, than Drake May. I think he was 215, and I think we're 6'1". Um, but once again, we saw Bryce Young go first overall, so does size really matter that much to the NFL? If they absolutely fall in love with somebody, then they're falling in love with somebody. Well, plus he also has that, that proven winning mentality, which, you know what, unless that, that team totally falls apart, um, should continue. And, and like you said, we'll probably, um, push for the Heisman again this year. And, you know, if a guy wins two of them, yeah, he's probably going first overall. Yeah, I think I think that's pretty pretty safe to say. Is if he wins back to back Heisman's, he will be the top quarterback taken off the board. Um, Caleb also has more. I, I mean, Caleb and Quinn both have more to work with than Drake May. Drake May being at North Carolina, the talent is slightly diminished there comparatively to the blue blood programs of texas and usc for quinn and caleb respectively so definitely something to keep in mind i think in my opinion that helps me and makes me feel better about what i see out of drake may because i'm seeing him do more with less so i'm seeing him really elevate the team around him which i really like floor raising quarterbacks uh quinn he looked like a true freshman last year and i mean technically we're talking redshirt uh, situation redshirt freshman last year um he got injured uh, i think it was the alabama game if i remember correctly and he just looked looked a little skittish looked a little scared a, a little scared he was overthrowing balls he wasn't falling through he wasn't finishing his throws um so i, I think it's things that can easily be corrected um but quinn is one of those guys that isn't going to give you much on the ground um when you think of somebody who doesn't run well, I think of Philip Rivers, and that's kind yeah. of what it reminds me of uh, with Quinn is seeing him kind of be like a Philip Rivers where he's just kind of running for his absolute life when he has to. And even then, it looks like he's in slow-mo compared to everybody around him. Yeah, but the guy still controlled the field, controlled the clock, could sling it down the field when he, you know, at will. So, I mean, there's value to that, too. It depends on how the team is built around the guy, right? 
Yep. Yeah, it's it's kind of like the the you, we you talked we talked a little bit earlier about like Ohio State. You have all these great wide receivers and a mediocre quarterback, and those receivers elevate the quarterback. Or you have a really great quarterback and some mediocre wide receivers, and he elevates them. Which is more, which is more powerful, right? And which is going to uh, uh, translate to 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 the fantasy world. Right, I I am almost I almost I almost would put my money on the the wide receivers making the guy the quarterback look great because when the quarterback hits the pro league and if he doesn't have those great wide receivers he's going to drop off like we've seen with Ohio State the wide receivers do great but the quarterbacks not so much because they don't have the three or four or five guys that they can go to they may have one right so. Okay, I'm going to throw a monkey wrench into your guys' works. Rumor mill. Ohio State wide receiver Marvin Harrison Jr. Okay. Is looking to transfer to USC. Whoa, really? Yeah. I did not hear that. Why? Because he wants to play with Caleb Williams and not whatever shitbag they have at Ohio State. Wow. Kyle McCord, most likely. Yeah, that is, is going to hurt Ohio State big time if he does yeah. transfer. Does that does that make Caleb Williams? Well, just think about this for a second. If that guy does transfer and he does end up at USC, what does that do for Caleb Williams? Does that put him right through the through the roof? I think that puts expectations on Caleb through the roof. Yeah. If yes. he does if he does not perform at a superstar level, then I think it's going to be considered a, a misfire this year. Yeah. So yep. it immediately vaults him into superstar status uh, and needing to perform like a superstar. Uh, but I I will say I also have talked to Matt Bruning, uh, Campus to Canton. Uh, one of the founders over there at Campus to Canton, and he's a giant Ohio State fan, and he is very tapped in with that organization. And from right. the sounds of it, it does not actually sound like Marvin's going to transfer. And basically, what he was told is an NIL deal was floated out to Marvin, and basically Ohio State said, "We'll match whatever." But we will find you an NIL deal. We'll find you one. Don't worry about it. You just stay here, play with us. Well, geez, you'll um, get paid. Yeah, you'll get paid. Uh, but but here's the thing, though. Like he, he if he stays in Ohio State, like it's a double edged sword. He goes to a better quarterback, which could keep him where he's at right now, or he could stay at Ohio State and make that mediocre quarterback a little bit better and be the top guy and push for as a wide receiver a Heisman. Uh, run at it, you know, like which, which is the, it's a double edged sword. Like, where for him, like, where do you go? To me, I don't think he can improve his draft stock any better than it already is. If he's not a top 10 pick, I think everyone's, everyone's stupid. If he does not go top 10 next year, Uh, I I already, I already see him as as the top wide receiver being drafted. Mm -hmm. Um, He's got all the talent in the world, um, and but but that's where I say like, does he go to another team that's that like that's going to be good and might have a couple other wide receivers and 
he just mixes in well, or does he stay at Ohio State and just outshine everybody else on the team and looks way better? That's kind of the the, the rub of the two, right? If I'm him going wherever, I'm going to get paid more. I'd rather yeah. get paid multi-million dollars before I hit the NFL because I don't think whatever wherever I go, I'm going to improve my draft stock, and I'm still going to get stupid money when I hit the NFL. So yeah. pay me now, and I'll play there. And, and you know what? You're you're right. He's probably going to get paid better in in uh, California than he will in Ohio because there's more money there. Oh yeah, and it's it's L.A. I mean, you just get somebody in the film industry, and all of a sudden, right there's your ten million dollars. Yeah. Here, do this is commercial for us. Is there a cap on how big a nail deal could be? Not that I'm aware of. No. Yeah, I've never looked into that. No. Wouldn't it be I, crazy I, you make more money as a college player than you do as an NFL player? So I, I think that's actually going to be a really interesting debate going forward to see some of these guys that get that second round draft capital projected when they go to get their evaluations, that second, third round draft capital do they just end up staying? Because you start looking at the running back contracts. It was floated around by, uh, I want to say it was Schefter, uh, that Saquon getting a three-year, $30 million, $18 million guaranteed deal seems like a stretch. So if that's Saquon Barkley, and we're talking $10 million a year is a stretch, then I got a question moving forward. You know, especially these running backs that are getting these second and third round grades. Well, if I can get $7 million to go stay in college, play another year, get another year of tape, why would I not take $7 million, stay in college, get my education, finish out the education, get the degree, and then be able to graduate and then go try and play in the NFL, knowing you're probably only going to have a rookie contract. That's a great, you know what? Um, that's, that's fantastic, right? What you just said makes perfect sense. The game is changing. And now that nil deals exist, you're going to have to reevaluate your future as an athlete. You have the shortest lifespan as a running back. You're probably not going to get a second contract with the way the current trends are going. So that's a realization you make and say, hey, you know what? I could go to the NFL and, and go nowhere, or I could stay here and ball out for another year and make seven mil get my education and see what happens and then try again next year. Sure. I'm an older running back, but I'd rather take the seven mil than go and make a hundred grand. Yep. So wow. that, that, that's the way I'm starting to starting to look at it. And it's really making me concerned thinking forward to the running back position and what that really means for the NFL. I mean, we're, we're talking Saquon Barkley, like he is an elite level running back. He is the running back that would be incredibly coveted if he were to hit free agency. And there's reports that he's going to probably struggle to get $10 million a year. I mean, that, that's crazy to me to think. If I'm a kid coming up, why would I want to play running back? I mean, we're talking about Daniel Jones getting, what did he get, $45 million a year? Yep. And we're talking about Saquon struggling to potentially get $10 million a year? Like even wide receivers. I mean, wide receivers are getting paid. Offensive tackles are getting paid more than running back. Which makes no sense. I guess you, if you're balancing out your team, you're going to invest in some of your better players. But at some point, you 
you're going to run people off. If they know, like, why would I come and do this for you if I'm not going to get paid for it? The idea of being on a rookie contract is that I earn my second contract. So if, if I play for you, you run me into the ground and then you cut me loose and then nobody else wants to invest in me because you're just going to go take somebody else from the college level and do the same thing to something's going to give, whether it's the players association and their union negotiations and, and how that's treated. If it's addressed at that level, uh, if it's addressed at the quality of talent that starts coming out at running back because players are going to start pivoting from right. Like everything rea is reactionary to like, as trends appear, things will start to move and deviate to adjust. But there's always going to be those that are going to be caught kind of in that transition. So the thought of Saquon Barkley not getting paid like an elite running back, it's like it just seems insulting. But there's a business side to, to running an organization. You want to do what you can and give your team the best chance to win. And sometimes you need to treat people like commodities and not like people. Yeah, I mean... the it's an absolute business for these GMs, you know, for these salary cap guys, they're trying to, to fit everybody in within a certain amount of money. And they're trying to figure out how to get the best team on the field. And if that means having a rookie running back and you just keep cycling, I mean, you look at the Pittsburgh Steelers in my opinion, and they're almost a perfect example. You go Le'Veon Bell, you get him and you run him through, you get James Connor and you run James Connor through you get Najee Harris, and I think they're doing the exact same thing with Najee Harris. So the Pittsburgh Steelers, in my opinion, are that model franchise for what I potentially see could happen in the NFL. I think it could go that way, where one running back ends up getting that 80% snap share, or it could go the exact opposite way, and now all of a sudden you're having a running back that's getting 50% of the snaps, and he's your lead running back. And it makes it a, an absolute cluster for if that's the case. Because now all of a sudden you're trying to figure out which running back is going to have the most efficiency in that 50% that they're only getting. Or will that guy that is just a plotter getting four yards a carry but gets 80% of the snaps, is that going to be more valuable to you? Okay. All right, so then moving on to the final, well, no, sorry, the final two positions here. Yep. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about wide receivers here first. I mean, we already kind of talked on Marvin Harrison Jr., uh, in my opinion, the very clear uh, top wide receiver in the class. And I actually think Ohio State has the top two wide receivers in this coming class uh, with Emeka Buka. Um and I think he is very talented as well. I think he will be a first-round wide receiver next year, uh, which will mean that Ohio State will have produced five first-round wide receivers in three years, um, which will be absolutely terrifying. And still have lost to Michigan in the Big Ten Championship. <laughs> and still have lost to Michigan. Uh, but, but no, they, they, they do have a, the juggernaut right now in – in, in the wide receiver world, right? Like if you're a wide receiver, you're wanting to go to Ohio state because they are pumping the guys out and they are like, they haven't been a, a huge strong running team for a few years and they're, they're, they're producing wide receivers. Like, uh, and it's been a winning organization. 
Yes, they lost to, to Michigan the last couple of years, but they've still been up there in the top 10 teams in the nation every year. So why wouldn't you want to go there and, and play there? Right? Like if you look at another team, like, like you look at Michigan, for example, they've been traditionally a running team. So they're going to get the running backs. You know, uh, uh, Alabama has been uh, a throwing team. So give them the ball, get, have wide receivers going there. Ohio State, throwing team, right? Depends on what their, the program looks like as to who's going who's gonna to rise to the top and get um, recruited to those top schools, right? So it's, uh, I, I, I see why you say Ohio State's probably got the number one and number two wide receivers in the nation right now. Okay. And and it will probably continue that way for the next few years. They, they've, okay. had, they've had some solid recruiting classes coming in as well at, at the wide receiver position. So, and I mean, all over the the team. I mean, they, they just continuously pump out, you know, top 50 recruits that just keep saying, yeah, I'm going to Ohio State. I mean, it, yeah. it's like, like the run that we saw from Alabama like five years ago and them just getting so many top recruits that – all of the sudden, those top recruits end up transferring out because they're not playing. They're like, oh, I'm a yeah. five-star recruit. Like, why am I fifth on the wide receiver depth chart? Yeah. So, And, that, and that, that starts to even it out a little bit, right? Yep. And that's why you see Alabama going from so much higher in the talent depth chart, and they're starting to drop down because some of those top guys are peeling off and going – going elsewhere, going to Georgia, going to to Michigan, going to you know, some of the other some of the other schools, right? When they opened up the transfer portal the way they did, it allowed them to do that. And then to me it yeah. makes sense. That you should not have been restricting players and having access to go and play. Because if you do decide if you do decide to go to a school and hey look, I'm a five star recruit. I'm really good, but like I'm stuck behind a massive list of other guys that are just as good, but they're older than me and they got here first. Um, and maybe I had an argument with the coach and now I've been blacklisted. So I'm, I'm not getting the playing time. So yeah, I want out. I'll go to a school that actually is going to like put me on the field and get me some playing time yeah. because we're seeing, we're seeing wide receiver talent come from other schools and, and be quality wide receivers in the NFL. So you don't have to go to a top school to get it. Sure. They've got a really good program and that you have a better, better chance of success, but if you've got raw talent, go to a smaller school. Uh, be the top of that of that particular group and ball out. Show what you can do. But uh, but and some of these guys may start to to realize, hey, I'm going to go to a middle of the pack school, so I stand out even that much more. Instead of like necessarily going from you know Ohio State to US, UCLA, go to a, a Jackson State or something like you know Bowling Green, a Bowling Green or or a Jackson Mississippi, and then just totally be the, the superstar of the team and, and it helps elevate the team. Like you look at like a, a Deion Sanders, the, the, he went to, I think he went to, to uh, Jackson state where it wasn't really uh, a very well-known team, but he was the best DB uh, for his, for his era. Really, really like, you know, guys that decide to go to a smaller school, can sometimes do a hell of a lot better than than getting buried on the depth chart of a top tier team. Mm -hmm. 
All right. Any other wide receivers we got to look at or be aware of, or is it time for the running backs? Cause that's the part we're really interested in. Yeah. So yes. uh, other, other guys to kind of be aware of, I, I don't know quite how I order them, uh, but Malik neighbors at LSU uh, definitely some guy he produced, like we expected Keishon Butte to produce this past season. Uh, you're looking at him. He is relatively athletic he did a lot with very mid LSU quarterback play uh, so I think that bodes well for him and then I'm also looking at Troy Franklin at Oregon uh, so if Bo Nix takes a step once again forward or just maintains uh, what he did last season at quarterback for them uh, I think Troy Franklin could be in for a big year uh, he's a little bit on the lighter side um, you know thinking more of like Devonta Smith type frame so that's a little concerning uh and then also having xavier worthy uh for texas once again another weapon for quinn ewers uh there were a lot of concentration drops a lot of times where the ball hit his hands and just kind of slipped through uh so that was kind of concerning this past year but he's got speed to burn uh he can get downfield in a hurry uh, and he can be that big play threat for them so i think that's three other names to to consider uh watching Sure. All right, let's talk running backs then. Who do you see coming out next year uh, that we need to keep our eyes on, that we hope land into a good spot with good draft capital? Yeah, yeah so... I don't know we're wishing here. So the, the guys that I'm really looking at, in my opinion, are the guys that I think have the frame to hold up to a full season and get that 80% load, um, that Najee Harris style load. Uh, and that's going to be Raheem Sanders or Rocket Sanders at Arkansas. Uh, size, speed, uh, 6'2", 225-ish uh, in a running back uh, with speed. And then Braylon Allen, who is less of a speed guy and more of a power guy. Uh, Braylon Allen came in as I think another 17 year old uh, and was playing in the big 10 as a true freshman. So definitely something to, to consider there. Uh, he was a linebacker uh, converted uh, played, uh, played linebacker and running back in high school was planning on coming as a linebacker injuries happened at running back and they moved him back to running back uh, for Wisconsin and him. We're talking about a guy that's six two two thirty five. 235. Uh, so he has a much bigger frame, definitely a power runner uh, between the tackles runner. Obviously, Wisconsin, we're not going to see much of a receiving threat. I mean, any Wisconsin running back, you don't really see much from them in the receiving game. It's just not how the offense works. Uh, and then obviously, Travion Henderson uh, is another name that I am watching this coming season. Uh, he was injured a lot for Ohio State last year, uh, but going into last season, he was the guy that people were already looking ahead at, uh, five-star recruit, Ohio State running back. You know, we talk about Zeke Elliott, and people were thinking, you know, okay, he's going to be another Zeke Elliott. Like, he's going to be the next guy up. He's going to be the, the next one to be a high, high draft pick. Do I think any of them are first-round NFL draft type guys? I don't think so right now. I think maybe they could sneak into the back of the first round, but I don't think we see them get taken as high as we did for Bijan uh, or Gibbs this season. 
Okay, what about Will Shipley? Will Shipley for Clemson. Uh, I just didn't see the explosiveness that I really want out of a true guy that I'm going to spend a first-round pick on uh, for dynasty drafts, for rookie drafts. Uh, I think ultimately he ends up slotting in as a late second, early third round NFL pick uh, and likely ends up slotting in as a back of the first round, uh, early second round rookie pick uh, for dynasty next year. Okay. Okay. So let me put this out to both of you. I'm surprised Mike, you didn't, uh, you didn't bring it up. Um, You don't think Blake Corum's going to make another run at the Heisman like he did last year? Look, I I like watching Blake Corum. I just haven't <laughs> I have an issue with the expression the, on your face said it all. The, I have an issue with the metrics for running backs that go back for their senior year. Like when you look at that in fantasy production, typically it's the guys that come out as juniors. It's not the guys that come out as seniors that end up being those RB ones. And, and that's really what I'm trying to, to look for when I'm projecting ahead. And Blake Corum's also going to have to split carries with Donovan Edwards. Um, True. You're looking at him, and he's going to be 23 and a half, I think, by the time the, the NFL draft comes around. Um, pushing 24, I think, midseason uh, of when the – rookie season for him so you start thinking about that and most running backs that are getting drafted are 20 21 type running backs uh when they're going high you're not really seeing those 23 year old guys going that high obviously Najee Harris is an example of a guy that did um but I don't think Blake Corum is Najee Harris no I Blake Corum might only have one contract in him. He might only get a rookie contract and that's it because he might have aged himself out. Also the injury he sustained at the end of last year, I think gave him a wake up call that, Hey, I I'm not going to get the draft capital that I would desire. I have to go back and play another year. And he got a $7 million nail deal. But, I, but I wonder though, you know, if he comes back fully healthy, and, and I'm not just saying this just because I'm a Wolverine fan, you know, but just as a, as a, as a, as, as a fan of the, of the game, right? Like, you know, the run that he went on to get him into, because at the beginning of the season, he was not nowhere near the talk of Heisman. And then, you know, game nine of their 12 game season, he was one of the favorites for the Heisman, and then he didn't did, ended up getting hurt and missing the last two games of the season. So realistically, like if he goes on another run like that, right? Like if he wins the Heisman next year, uh, how do teams not necessarily look at him, especially if they're in really a need for a, a, a running back, where you don't you you look at that guy to think, and, and maybe you're only thinking short term. Okay. So here it is. Here it is. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in here. You missed this part of the conversation. You took a break. Uh, I uh-huh. think you needed to replenish your uh, your giant bubble <laughs> mug beverage. And uh, Evan and I were actually talking about about this exact topic, not about this player specifically, but this particular uh, topic. 
Sure. With the transition of NFL teams moving away from the valuation they give on running backs, that they're just churning and burning them, right? And he and Evan gave the example of um, the uh, Pittsburgh, right? Yep. They chewed through um, uh, Le'Veon Bell. Yep. Then it was James Conner, and probably the same thing with Najee Harris, right? Churn them and burn them. Don't pay them. Just let them move on and go get somebody else. If if that's the approach that the league is taking, then it might cause college players who know that they might not get that big early round draft uh, capital that they get the second or third or even beyond valuations. They might decide to stay in college where they are an elite athlete, where they are doing really well and get that nil deal for millions of dollars. Because when they do make it to the NFL, they might not make that kind of money and their career might not be as long. And, so, and, and, and that's where, and that's kind of where I was going to with my, my next little bit of the, uh, of what I was saying with, uh, with him is he might not get that second contract, but if you know, you're going to get a guy who could be a, a Elliot guy for two years. And then the team's going to move on from him. Like he might be a superstar in the NFL for two years and then fade off because he's beat way too beat up. But he sure. could then have. Where, where do you put that draft capital? Have, where, where do you yeah. invest? I, again, that's why that's why I say that's why I say like you know if if in the early rounds a team is really running back desperate, maybe he goes high. I it don't think teams will be running back desperate going forward. We have how many players that are still sitting out there that True. don't have deals yet that are formerly elite running backs. Yeah. No, you're so, you're tr- true. Uh, and and that all that is all of that is valid. Uh it's just it's 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 so weird and odd. You know, from me being one of the se- one of the senior guys doing all of this not to see the running backs have such high value that they're at the lowest value right now than they've ever had. Right. Like tight ends are, are becoming more valuable than a running back. They get paid longer, live longer. And yeah. And it just blows my mind away. Like you, you look back at the, at the, 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 uh, you know, the Marcus Allen's, the Eric Dickerson's, the Walter Payton's where they were the whole team. The quarterback wasn't the wide receivers weren't the running backs were the whole team. And now to see them kind of being, you know, it's the, the lick and stick throw away society. Hey, go in there for a year and then get the heck off my team. Cause I got another guy coming in that I'm going to use for a year and get rid of and fresher legs. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to wrap my head around and, uh, you know, you know, for, for Evan, some of these younger guys who, who, who look at the analytics and all of this other kind of stuff with it, with it, they go with it. I, oh, I struggle with it, but I see where you guys, what you're saying, you know, a a guy might win the Heisman and not make it in the first round. And that's, that's crazy in my mind. Might not go in the first three. Yeah. Especially if it's a running back. Yeah. To me, if Blake Corum wins the Heisman, I'd still take him in the third round. I would not be investing big capital in him because if he's, and I wasn't even aware of this, I didn't pay attention to age. If he's going to be 24 by the start of his rookie season in the NFL, if he enters the draft next year, I've already lost most of, most of like your prime prime ability. Yeah. So that's tough. Okay. Um, Any other running backs? You have Raheem Sanders, Braylon Allen, and Travion Henderson. 
those are the guys we're going to watch out for next year. Yep. So those, okay. those are the main guys that we're going to look out for next year. Okay, cool. Cool. Um, you know what? It's been a great night. We have two more questions for you that we're going to ask. One from me, one from my friend Andrew. The first one from me is this. In your opinion, which brings you the best bang for your buck? Draft picks, waiver wire pickups, or trades? This is for you specifically in probably the 100-plus leagues you're involved in. <laughs> no, no. I, I, I dropped it down. I dropped it down. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, so for me, I think it tends to be draft picks followed by trades, followed by waiver wire pickups, frankly, because I tend to get busy during the week and I just frankly forget Tuesday night to set my waivers. Uh, and that's kind of an issue. And yeah. I, know, I know that, but when I'm trying to flip through, you know, 24 leagues, uh, it gets kind of, uh, kind of to be a problem. Yeah. And draft picks usually, like as an example, I have one league where just from the rip, I knew that I screwed up the startup draft. So I just started sending everything away. And I was just like, I don't want your picks this year. I want your picks next year. And I want your picks the year after that. So that league's now been around. We're going into our third year with it. And everything's coming to fruition. And I've been able to use those draft picks to be able to make what I think next year, not this year, but next year, is going to be an absolute juggernaut of a team. So when you're able to analyze it early and realize, hey, I need to start making these moves, and then being very selective with the teams that you go after. So like there was one league where I just traded Donnie for his 24 first, and I gave up like a bunch of, in my opinion, nothings. Cause I think I gave up two third round picks, James Connor. And uh, it was another, it was another running back, but not like a high caliber running back. It was like a very low end RB two style guy. And I looked at Donnie's team and I said, in this league, I think Donnie is not going to make playoffs, which based off of some of the guys that I listed, I started thinking in my head, okay, like, if this were going to be the 106 this year, what kind of guys am I going to be looking at? And I said to myself, I like this guy more than I like any of the people that I traded away. So that's what I try and do is I try and be very intentional uh, when I am doing, doing the trades uh, to be able to get the draft picks that I think are going to be higher up in value. Okay. So like when you do, when you do your, like, and every league is different. Um, and you're looking to trade to get some picks. Are you looking at the teams that are like on the bubble of making the playoffs and saying to them, Hey, I'll throw you something that might get you over the, over the hump to get your pick for next year or the year after. Is that kind of the way you look at it as well? Yeah. So if I'm looking multi years out, I'm going to look for teams that have those quote unquote elite running backs right now uh, that are going to be aging out. So like as the example, you know, two years ago, you're looking at this year's draft saying, okay, like Alvin Kamara, hype is through the roof for him. Okay, well, if I move off of Alvin and I'm trying to get picks down the road, very far down the road, then what's this team for them going to look like? You know, say they had Alvin Kamara, Derek Henry, you know, they have a bunch of Dalvin Cook, you know, they had a bunch of those elite 
in their prime running backs, I start trying to think who's going to be aging out. And then I also try and look for, since I play leagues now, I look for teams that have those two quarterbacks and they don't really have a third. So I'm looking mm-hmm. at their team saying, if one of those two guys get injured, they have one quarterback and it's really hard to win if you're not starting two quarterbacks in Superflex. So that is the kind of moves that I'm trying to look for. And yeah, sometimes when you take those guys and that have the two quarterbacks, they don't get injured at all that year. You never hope for injury, but I'm looking at it saying if that injury were to happen, this now went from a playoff first, which is what they're valuing it at, so I can get it a little bit cheaper, to now being a top four, potentially, first-round pick. No, oh, makes sense. Totally makes sense. Okay. Uh, it's good to it, it, it's it's good to hear everybody's different perspectives on on that kind of stuff and where they put the value in and I think Mike if you correct me if I'm wrong like it seems like waiver wire is usually at the bottom of of everybody's list. Yeah, um I I think the general consensus from what we hear is waiver wires are the hardest place to find value especially in deep dynasty. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, if you're if you're on a, a, a 25 man roster and 10 to 12 teams in the league, the the, the there's such slim, slim pickings on the waiver that yep. you're hoping that you can snag the guy when when a guy gets hurt, you can go snag the guy that's going to be his replacement the second that the guy goes down, so that you can get him in and slot and, and slot him in for for yourself the next week. Um, you, can, you can spend that fab and pick that guy up. Yeah, yeah. So I guess our our next question and, and ultimately the last one f- uh, for you for the night, um, and this is always my favorite, one of my favorites. Um, if you could set the ultimate game, you know, which two teams in history um, would you set to play up against each other? Wow. Um, okay. I need to think about that for a second. I want to, and part of this has to do with recency bias, in my opinion. I want to say the 2007 Patriots, the Brady and Randy Moss year. Yeah. Like that, that 10, that, that tandem was unstoppable in my opinion. That was a special year. Yeah. It was, it was an incredible year. Um, And then I would love to see them go up against the 85 Bears, like a Mm. team that's considered one of the best defenses in all of history of football. Like I would love to see that offense with Tom Brady and Randy Moss going up against that defense for the bears. Yeah. I take the 85 bears. Yes. I think Brady would see snap bubbles. Yeah. That defensive line was just too powerful. Um, I, I, you know what, Evan, I, I don't know if you listened to last week's, I threw my, my pairing up um, from our, our podcast last week. Mine was the 85 Bears against the Chiefs, um, their first Super Bowl. Okay. With Mitchell Holmes and, and Tyreek Hill and Kelsey. Um, I just, I, I, I want to see like one of the best offenses versus one of the best defenses and see them go head to head. I still pick the Bears in that game, but, uh, because that that Bears defense was just so special, and they still had a really really good offense, um, 
you know, with with Walter Payton and Jim McMahon and and the, well, you got the fridge fridge running the ball at four thousand pounds. Yep. How are you going to stop the guy? Yeah, you don't. You you just hope he falls. <laughs> yeah, you hope you can trip him before he hits the actual goal line. Yeah. When you become a GI Joe character and in the cartoon because of your just like impressive size and football yeah. ability, yeah, it's a big deal. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they had that sweet that, that sweet Super Bowl shuffle video. Oh, that was pretty good. That was fun. <laughs> that might be too 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 old for Evan to know, but. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, that's it for this week, folks. Evan, thank you very much for joining us, and thank you very much for being my co-manager and just letting me run my team into the into the wall on a consistent basis. Uh, but being there for me when I come to you for trades and and uh, insights and stuff, man, I appreciate that. You don't, you don't, you don't guide me. You gotta force like, some oh, more stuff. You gotta force yeah, some more stuff. Kind of like him and Juan picking on me or teaming <laughs> up on me to. Uh, to put it out there to knock me out, but that was Evan's idea. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm just in the background, you know, just like speaking yeah. in like the, you know, just <laughs> chirping a little bit right there. Are, are you yeah. are are you the 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 angel or the devil on Mike's shoulder? I think he sits in both positions. <laughs> yeah, I, I think right? one day he just one does one of these, one of them. and then he just slides o- slides over on the other side, right? Like you play both. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, you know what? Uh, we actually concluded uh, our Get to Know Your League Make series. Evan, so thank you very much for helping us wrap that up. Next week, we're actually going to do a our first uh, Dynasty Mock rookie draft. So this is where we're going to invite a bunch of our, our League Make friends. So you're more than welcome to come back. I'll send out the invites and put some stuff in the chats tomorrow. Uh, to come back, we'll do we'll do the mock and we'll we'll talk about it live as we go through probably the first couple of rounds to kind of see where things shake out. Uh, because for us, our rookie draft happens in nine days, and with the uh, we've talked about it on numerous occasions on the podcast. Uh, we've dialogued in in various like chat groups and in person. So the overall consensus of where we think and feel guys should go. I think most people know. So we're not hiding anything. There's no more secrets. Um, but it is curious to see and run through the actual exercise of, of in that particular moment, who would you take under the, under the, under the gun, the time clock? Because we're going to try and do rapid fire so you get very limited time to think and, uh, and just go with it. So come back next week when we get a chance to do that. Uh, invitation will be up there for you, Evan. But for all of you at home, thank you very much for joining us this week. We greatly appreciate you being here. Uh, that's it for us. Uh, again, we're going to post some stuff on Facebook and Twitter. You can go and check that stuff out, particularly the uh, the 2024 uh, prospects to look out for. Thank you very much for those, Evan. And uh, that's it for from one poor man to another. Remember, if it's not fun, it's not worth doing. Good night, everybody. Have a great week, everybody. Evan, did you want to say goodbye? Oh. I thought we were just ending it like that. Corey usually just has a cold end where he just ends it on something. So Mm-mm-mm. say goodbye. Have a good night, everybody. <laughs>